You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. We have here with us, as we do most days, Todd and Aaron. We have an extra guest today. Shannon Joy, New York talk show host, is here with us as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you listening to this on the podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., last name is spelled D-E-A. CE. So, why do we have a full house here today? Well, it's Friday, so it's time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was begins with issue one the people. Have their say. The midterm elections are over. First, we'll start with the results of the governor's races. Republicans held on to governor's seats in Ohio, Iowa, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, New Hampshire, South Dakota, and Alaska. Democrats won governorships in Kansas, Nevada, and Wisconsin. I'm, I'm sorry, I just received word from Broward County, Florida election supervisor Brenda Snipes that she's found some new votes from the you know, Florida Senate and governor's races and Georgia and, uh, and some other states as well. And uh, here's our new projection for how the governor's races will look after all the votes are counted across the country. There's a lot of blue there. In the House, Democrats picked up several seats, giving them a solid 435 to nothing majority over Republicans, or at least that's how we project it to end up after another week of counting. In the Senate, things looked pretty good for Republicans early on, but Democrats came back and took a 50 to nothing majority as well, once, of course, all the votes are counted. All right, all right, that's enough. Here's how the governor's races really looked across the country and the House. And the Senate. We're just kind of divided, just just a little bit. I will say, though, I mean, if we're going to go full on banana republic, I kind of think, hey, look, we found more votes is a, is catchier than bake the cake bigot. I mean, for like a, a parting shot, don't you think? It's would more in line with the uh, tyranny with a smile. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you rather go down with, hey, look, we found more votes than bake the cake bigot. It does seem just a, you know, a tad more passive aggressive and friendlier. So, folks, here's how we ended up with the election now that we're still legitimate, counting the legitimate votes in House races. The Democrats are going to end up here with the biggest gain they've had uh, in House seats in a single election since the Watergate election of 1972. The Republicans, whether the final number is 53, 54, or 55, uh, depending on whenever they're done, what was Robino's line earlier today? A conservative if review. If you have an election that lasts more than four days, call your lawyer, right? So whenever they get done counting the votes in Arizona and Florida, it is quite likely that with the exception of the post 9-11 midterm in 2002, the president's party in power is going to gain seats in a Senate election, which has not happened uh, since the post-World War II, post-FDR political alignment. It's not happened. 
And so what happens when you have one party essentially making history and the other party simultaneously is making history? Two major political parties make successful history in the same election at the expense of one another. I'll tell you what you have, guys. You have two Americas. You have two totally different countries. Shannon, your view of what happened on Tuesday. Start with you. Well, I think overall, I agree with your assessment. So 100 million Americans turned out to vote for this midterm election, which blew away all the projections. It was one of the largest turnouts in the history of this country. So you have a nation that's obviously engaged, but we're also searching, right? And when you say a divided nation, I don't, I think you're, you're right in your assessment that Americans believe they're divided politically because they're fed a steady diet of uh, polarized hatred from all of our news media and both of our political parties. So we've been conditioned and trained as Americans to have fear and distrust or, or else outright hatred for people in the other party. But I do know from talking to many of my Democrat neighbors that we actually aren't as divided as most of us think. Most Americans, actually, I had a conversation with one of my Democrat neighbors down the street, and uh, you know, we always thought that we were on opposite ends of the spectrum. It turns out he campaigned for Goldwater uh, you know, back in the day and you know, flirted around with libertarianism, flirted with Republicans, now is with Democrats. And so I think we have a nation in general that's searching, that is awake but also searching, and quite dissatisfied with the status quo both political parties todd well that was my hope that that's what happened which is why uh steve and i toggled back and forth about you know who's in play there that call them what you will swing voters uh people uh open to change and a lot of that i based on the fact that donald trump became president that to me that was a a potential status quo is a status quo until it uh isn't anymore and i think that was true in terms of uh basically people had given up on uh the regular everyday leadership on the Rep of the republican party but where did that take us two years later? Uh, absolutely nowhere, which is why Steve ultimately was right. When the, when the math ultimately won, the, the two countries math that you've talked about, uh, that, that just tells me that uh, it wasn't a really a, a, a chance to con re really reconsider anything and move on. I mean, listen, if you're going to get in bed uh, with with Stalin, it, it's got to be for a really good reason. It's because, you know, I promise you we're doing it because we're going to kick some Nazis asses. That did not happen the last two years. Uh, so so here we are. Uh, it, it, nothing really transformational has happened at all. Steve nailed it. We are in a stalemate. It's probably the dumbest stalemate in the history Preach. of america uh there is nothing we, we are stuck here without anybody taking it'd be one thing if people were uh, on the right were really taking some stands and this is just going to take some time it's going to be muddy but we didn't do that aaron i know we're going to be talking about this later but this i mean this election was just a uh perfect reflection of the culture and where the culture is is binary choice idolatry that is the name of the game that our culture plays right now binary choice idolatry on the one hand it's the r on the other hand it's the d and then caught in the middle somewhere are people who are maybe um maybe in in line with i just fed up with both sides but i think it's really a solid reflection of that binary choice idolatry so yeah nothing really 
no statements were made on on Tuesday night. It was both sides feel like they're in an existential fight to some degree. Maybe maybe that's wrong. I don't I don't know why 111 was that the 111 million people voting. Um, I don't know why 111 million people would vote in a midterm unless they thought that both something was at stake and both sides ended up in a stalemate. So I, at the end of the day, nothing really changes. Nothing really changes about any of this uh, that we've been talking about politically because spiritually where we're at right now, we do not have the eyes to see what I think Shannon was talking about, that maybe at the end of the day we're just being played for suckers. I don't think people in mass have the eyes to see that that we're just um we're just being used by used as pawns and at the end of the day too i mean that doesn't that doesn't change that at the end of the day we only have ourselves to blame for that so based on how accurately i called this election i'm going back i'm back in i'm back in walk mode and the reason why i'm back in walk mode is because the 2016 election was not the outlier we thought it was. And neither was this one. In <laughs> fact, they kind of went exactly the way they should have gone. We're all distracted by the frosting on the cake. The cake is still made the same way a cake has ever been made. It requires flour, or if you want to go gluten-free like Aaron, some substitute, it requires eggs, milk, water, etc. Cake mix doesn't change. It's the frosting that can change the way the cake tastes, but it doesn't change the way the cake is made. We believe because the cake tastes differently that we have created a new way to make a cake, and we have not. All that happened in 2016 is, is you know, we started that primary trying to get a guy, and we didn't know it was Ted Cruz at the time, but trying to get a guy like him the nomination. Why? Because we looked at all of Hillary Clinton's likables and we thought, what? We could get a true game changer. We don't, we don't have to get a squish. We can get somebody she so disliked. There's so much Obama fatigue. We could get a real conservative in there this time. Right, right? Yeah. And on election day, what did we find? She so disliked. There's so much Obama fatigue. It, 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 did election day just not actually, when we stop and look at it, did we ended up actually kind of having the same presidential election we thought we were going to have in like August of 2015 when we were beginning to vet the presidential candidates in Iowa, didn't we? Yeah. It's just um, along the way, we got on the Trump train and we're grabbing them by hoo-hahs and figuring out some, a lot of Americans are learning what a hoo-ha is and didn't know what a Billy Bush was, right? We're, it, it, we're on the crazy train. Hillary's fainting one day and waving the American flag. The crazy train confused us into believing this was a new cake. No, it wasn't. It's different frosting. It, it might be far more powerful frosting. It might be mixing flavors. It's a new taste. It might it's be made with cake. sadness instead of flour. <laughs> <laughs> same thing happened here. I could have written this result. My first column back in January, I could have just written, you know what? Um, gonna be, there's too many retirements in districts. Hillary won. Republicans are doomed. And too many Democrats running in Senate, for Senate seats statewide in places Trump won double, double digits. They're doomed. And, and saved every that would that have seemed edgy in January? No, it seemed edgy in May, June, July, August. Why? Because the there's a column in the New York Times where somebody's anonymously saying I am sabotaging the Trump administration from within. Michael Cohen indicted, and Trump's a racist. Stormy Daniels and Michael Evanetti 
the, the, the show. We're falling for this is the greatest show. The flavor of the, of the frosting is changing, but the cake remains. All of this was a show. It was, it was when, back in the day, Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys used to do, they, do this thing where before the snap, they'd all stand up. Why? To make you think that something else was happening here. And then they would just go right back in their stance and run the ball off tackle to Tony Dorsett like nothing happened. But he gets 60 yards instead of six because when they stood up, you were convinced that oh, this is a fake play. No, it's not. It's just the same game. Nothing's changed. And between now and 2020, not much is going to change either. I can tell you right now, right now, especially if the report that Mueller's writing is final report, if that's true, then there won't be any external Mueller stimuli to change what I'm about to say. So barring some external stimuli, whether it, maybe it is from Mueller or an attack or something that is of, 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 you know, outside the realm of the game that we're talking about, I can tell you right now what's going to occur, and I can save you all the two years of analysis, and I'll call it for you right now. What's going to happen is, the Democrats will be incapable of nominating a likable Trump, meaning a a progressive capitalist with no record. So, so people can don't, he can't be picked at for being a cultural Marxist, you know, a Jeff Bezos, Mark Cuban, kind of a Bob Iger. They, they are incapable of nominating that person, which would win. If they did, he would win. And the closest thing to a landslide, the electoral map would provide, but they're not capable of that. And so they're going to nominate a leftist and that's going to play right into Trump's hands. And, and so the Democrats, by nominating a leftist, will continue to call everybody a racist. Trump will troll the out of them oh, the whole time. The whole time. He's the anti-Romney. Like Romney would need a chicken sandwich. Chump, you can fry it. You can boil it. You can broil it. Chicken gumbo, uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, yeah, Chick-fil-A casserole. He will free, he'd a, freaking buy Chick-fil-A from the family. Bath and Chick-fil-A Yes. Sauce. He will troll the hell out of them on every cultural flashpoint imaginable. And he'll win all the same states that he won before, probably by very small margins all over again. Why? Because the persuadable voters are not people that are persuaded on, on issues. There's not, a, there's not a group of people the Republicans can add to the fold because Obamacare is unpopular. And there's not a group of people Democrats can add to the fold because the Iraq war is unpopular. People, the persuadable, look at this last election. It's not politics. It's personal. And so once we got outside of the Democrats' home base in the eastern seaboard, Shannon, where you live, and we got into middle America, what happened is for about 10 minutes, uh, Nate Silver's real-time calculus had a 55% odds that Republicans are going to win the House. Right? Why? Because all the seats that they were targeting in, in that part of the country as pickups, Republicans are holding on to them. Why? Because a whole bunch of people got pissed at what they did to Brett Kavanaugh and said, as much as I'm, I, I, I will not, I can't permit that. I, everybody's a racist. Everybody's a rapist. I'm not going to tolerate that. And then once we got outside of that middle area, and this is why Iowa is so split. We're like right man on the, we're the Rhineland. If you know your World War II history, man, we're like, we're right in the middle here of these two forces. And once we got west of the Mississippi and west of Iowa, that's where more suburban exurbia America is. Same, that's what started happening. That's what Beto O'Rourke made all of his gains in Texas, suburban voters. Why? Because the suburban voters who were supposed to alienate Trump in 2016 didn't. Because when they went, even though they can't stand him, the suburban women hated Trump every bit as much in 2016. They just hated Hillary Clinton so much that when they went to the polls, and a, and a presidential election is not a referendum, it's a vote for somebody. And the name on the ballot said Hillary Clinton. They couldn't bring themselves to vote for her. And, and, that's, and, that, and, and Trump held his base. And now in a midterm election, it's a referendum. 
And so you lose soft supporters in your own party, and they may send you a message. Obama saw this twice in midterm elections in 2010 and 2014. And so what will happen is in two years when it's Kamala Harris and Spartacus and Focahontas or whoever the hell, whatever leftist Marxist they nominate, we're going to hear all the same stories, suburban women really turned off by Trump's trolling, and they're going to show up at the polls the first Tuesday in November, and they're going to be like, you know, I really can't stand Donald Trump, but this person's a communist, so I guess I'll just put up with that person. I'll put up with I put up with him for four years now. I'll put up with it for another four years because the only thing either party can do to break the gridlock in the map that exists right now is put forth somebody that that folks actually admire and are proud of. Obama is the outlier, guys, not Trump. Obama overcame the electoral map because of the power of his likability. And then once he got into office, that support began to erode. He lost two wave elections in the midterms, and he did something no president has ever done, win re-election by losing support from his original election. No one's ever done that ever in American history. Every president's ever been re-elected got more votes than they did the first time they ran. He's the first one that ever did it. Trump's not the outlier. We're just all convinced he is because he is a douchebag most days. Obama's the outlier. Everybody's got it wrong. The math hasn't changed. And so and since we know Trump's not capable of adulting for 10 minutes, we know the Democrats might be capable of it, but they're just not willing to because they hate you. All right? The, the gal that got elected governor in Kansas, she's been governor-elect for like three minutes. She's already issued a fatwa on Christians, okay? They're incapable. They're incapable of putting forth someone that just might even like listen to you for three seconds. And so Trump will troll them. And I, so you just mark it down, put it in a bottle. I can, we know, I, can, I just told you what the next two years I, are going to be. Right I actually now. like that. Uh, you know how strongly I don't want to talk about 2020, but by you solving 2020 now, I'm happy to talk about it all day long today, as long as we don't <laughs> have to talk about it anymore in the future. Thank you for clearing that up. For us. All right. I went long there. Does anybody want to comment on that before exit question? I would just say the fact that you pointed out how, uh, uh, Obama is the outlier and that the Republicans uh, just uh, voted into the Senate. The guy that allowed him to be that kind of outlier tells you everything you know about Team GOP. Mitt Romney, looking forward to everything you yes. have to bring to the table. Mitt it's- Romney in the Senate's going to be so much fun. Oh. He is either going to bootlick Trump, which will humiliate himself, mm. or he will attempt to become the new McCain and then Trump will humiliate he's try- him. He's trying that out right now. Oh, yeah. it's, it, either it, way, either outcome is going to be, either outcome is, I'm calling a win. So either weak. outcome is a win. So for weak. Exit question. Fill in the blank. The most overlooked story in the 2018 election that will have the biggest impact moving forward is what? Shannon. Uh, I think the most overlooked story is the millennial vote. They were up 188% on average across the country, and that was a direct result of the activation and organization of leftists on on uh, uh, high school campuses. March for Our Lives was on was in I think over two or three hundred high schools last year registering young people to vote. They have an enormous amount of money. They're well-funded, and I think that they're going to continue to activate young people, and that will have a direct uh, impact, I think, on future electoral uh, outcomes. That's a good one. Todd? Uh, I think the day after analysis has to be rolled into this and that how brazenly uh, both the press and leftists in general are just flat out blaming white women for not getting on board. That that open, virulent racism. Which goes right to my theory of how I know if that's the card they're going to. Yeah. They're going to drive his they're, they're going to drive his base out form exactly with that. Yes. 
but I it's agree. not you know it's not being analyzed in any way because it's just it, it, there's nothing to analyze it is there Kool-Aid 2020 you said yes um, or, or no of the 2018 election oh, the biggest the underreported story is what oh boy uh, biggest underreported story uh well i i think um people are just are are fine with trump i think it's the backlash or the continued backlash. I mean, this is a stalemate. And like you said, the historical trends, I think it is still clear that people aren't buying what the left en masse is, uh, is selling. And so I think that's, that's probably the most underrated uh, story of the election. All right, let's get to issue two. Sessions, gone. Why aren't Dem crimes under investigation? Asked Jeff Sessions. Well, um... It's kind of hurtful. Why didn't AG Sessions replace acting FBI Director Andrew McCabe, a Comey friend? But the President of the United States is a strong leader. The recusal of Jeff Sessions was an unforced betrayal of the President of the United States. He is determined to move this country in the direction he believes it needs to go to make us great again. The Russian witch hunt hoax continues all because Jeff Sessions didn't tell me he was going to recuse himself. And he has uh, uh, had a lot of criticisms and he's uh, steadfastly determined to get his job done and he wants all of us to do our jobs. Jeff Sessions is an honest man. He did not say anything wrong. He could have stated his response more accurately. So why aren't the committees and investigators and, of course, our beleaguered AG looking into crooked Hillary's crimes and Russia relations? Well, um, it's kind of hurtful. Jeff Sessions submitted his resignation this week. His former chief of staff, Matt Whitaker, is now the acting attorney general. <laughs> oh, man. It's kind of hurtful. I'm the, my, the thing with Michael Cohen, you know, getting indicted or whatever... And with Jeff Sessions now leaving the stage, am I going to be able to use the says who and the it's kind of hurtful clips as much as I have? As long as the same millennials who were protesting Sessions, who they didn't even hear of until he was nominated for AG as a racist two years ago, are now protesting in Times Square last night or two nights ago at his uh, being forced out. Uh, yeah. So now, now they're now they're protesting that the racist AG is gone. I, I can't follow. I as long better. as that's who they are, then the answer is yes. Yes. Uh, Jeff Sessions turned me into a newt. That I got better. That that leftist actor <laughs> who wrote Hamilton, Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions, yes. to you, brother. Yes. Yeah. That leftist actor who wrote Hamilton, the the, the musical that's so popular, he's now sitting down, uh, breathlessly writing the great martyrdom of Jeff Sessions. I'll it's never forget. Awesome. I was sitting over here in our sat up link studio. The day Trump fired Comey, okay? And I was getting ready to go on to talk, and, and we were going to talk about John Podesta, the Clinton, the chief Clintonista, ripping uh, Comey and how he had stolen the election from Hillary, like the, the previous evening, okay? And then the next day, Trump fired Comey. I get the thing in my ear as the, as the, as the, as the uh, story's coming out. Uh, hey, we got we to scrap this. And they suck. Podesta is then on Twitter the next day saying the firing of James Comey, who the previous day he had just accused of stealing the election from Hillary, was a clear sign that this is worse than Watergate and the Saturday evening massacre. Right? Yes. Yes. All right. So, Shannon, you you haven't spoken yet. Your view on what happened to Jeff Sessions here. 
Well, you know, hashtag QAnon believes that Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions are in cahoots. And so they've been working together the whole time. Yes. Mueller is actually on Trump's team as well. So this is a lot of four-dimensional chess. It's, high, it's hard to follow it. By the way, but hold I, up, hold up. Anytime inv anybody invokes that term, it must be clarified. The official show position on four-dimensional chess is, gentlemen. It's always in effect. <laughs> I screwed it up again. <laughs> Millennials. Go ahead, Shannon. Go ahead. I think what's happening here was evident in Trump's press conference when he said, if you come after me, now that the Republicans don't control the House anymore, you're going to you're going to give Democrats the ability to investigate anything and, and everyone. So they're going to have subpoena power. So this is Donald Trump essentially saying he needs a pit bull for an attorney general. Uh, this is not a yep. position for the people to, or, or to faithfully uh, defend the law or adjudicate. This is uh, a Donald Trump henchman. So if they investigate Donald Trump, he's going to investigate them. In order to do that, he needs a political attorney general. And I don't think that Jeff Sessions was willing to do that. Now, it's, it's interesting to note that when Barack Obama nominated Eric Holder, I mean, we spent many years as conservatives and Republicans screaming, at, you know, and in a frenzied way about how uh, corrupt that is to turn the position of the attorney general into a political position. It's exactly what Donald Trump is doing. And I predict a great show in the next two years. It'll be great. Indeed. In fact, if, I mean, if we're going to do this, then by golly, let's do it. I, I got to, somebody should ask, and you know, maybe I'll text Matt, hey, why aren't you in Broward County, Florida yeah. right now? Uh, no freaking kidding. All right. So Todd and Aaron, your response to Shannon's analysis. Well, it's it, it's right in part, but he he, he didn't really uh, care. There's that one tweet about it. He recused himself. You know, uh, he didn't really. Trump doesn't really want a, a functioning anything. I mean, he's not, he's he he didn't particularly care uh, about uh, Sessions uh, not being the best. Uh, uh, attorney general ever uh what he cared about mostly by keeping him there and the fact that he just turned around like that and got rid of him is that if he got rid of him uh before the democrats took power uh, he's worried about sessions and, and, and company then becoming a story and talking about him behind his back so he's just going to keep him close the, the minute the democrats are in power S sessions uh, uh leaves now if sessions wants to go against him he's far more linked with a majority that wants to impeach Donald Trump. And I don't think that's something, even if Sessions is frustrated now, really wants to get himself lost up, lost himself into. So, and, and that that makes it sound like there's a lot of wheels turning and thinking, no, that's pure Donald Trump id going on. That is how he works. He, did, yep. Donald, he didn't feel like Sessions, uh, he thought Sessions could become a nagging force if he got rid of him, so he kept him close and he didn't really care if he was functioning too well. Now, yeah, go ahead and yip at my ankles now and you're going to be just lumped in with Nancy Pelosi, so haha. He still Trump still wins. I think uh, I, I, apart from agreeing with Shannon's analysis, uh, that same analysis could be given about any appointment that Trump makes. Yeah. Um, that's that's what drives this. If if Ben Carson, who is what the director of HUD right now, Housing and Urban Development, if Ben Carson whispered a note of subtle criticism about President Trump and Pro uh, President Trump got wind of that immediately, maybe not immediately, maybe, uh, I don't know, five minutes from now, he would get on Twitter and slam um, sleazy Ben Carson, um, ungrateful Ben Carson. Um, we've had... Sleepy Ben! We've never seen... Yeah. <laughs> sleepy, sleepy Ben Carson. Um, we've had less housing and urban developments 
in his time than we ever have before. He needs to get on the game. It's just it. We're off. We're off. That's what drives all of this. It's Trump's ego and id. And if he can just keep that to himself sometimes, you know, it's less gray hairs for me. And I'm only 25, but that doesn't happen very often. So. Eggs a question on a scale of one to 10, with one being ten. utterly. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I haven't even read this, but it's 10. <laughs> with one being utterly useless and 10 being hero, how would you rate Jeff Sessions' tenure as AG? Oh, dang. Three. Three. Okay. Shannon. I give him a five. You know, Daniel Horowitz did some good reporting. You know, a lot of the the good things that happened in terms of immigration enforcement, any of the good things, and, and not a whole lot happened in these uh, past two years, at least legislatively. But Sessions, in in that sense, did some of the best work within the Trump administration. So it's going to be a shame to see him go on on that end. But as far as um, you know, anything else, that's why I'm kind of middle, about five. Let the record show that that's like the closest Shannon will ever be to being Pollyanna. Yeah, I'll give him a five. What the hell? <laughs> Aaron? I spoke too soon. That's what I get for interrupting you. Uh, it's a five. It's a five. five? All right, bonus. I didn't tell you guys this. Bonus exit question. Ooh. Will Matt Whitaker's DOJ go after Kavanaugh's false accusers now that they've been referred for prosecution? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, that's too much to hope for. Shannon, yes or no? Absolutely not. Aaron, yes or no? Hell no, bro. <laughs> I mean, wasn't Hillary supposed to be locked up? We got to go. We got to get out, Shannon. Got to get out. We'll come back. Stay tuned. So I gave the folks over at Home Title Lock my address last week to see what would happen. And then they sent me an email. And it was amazing what they were able to do with the, with the title to my home. I mean, they, that almost even looked exactly like my signature. And Home Title Fraud, it's exploding right now. Uh, it's it's one of the fastest growing black markets out there. And it's because, number one, it's the most expensive investment most Americans will make is in their own home. The other reason is this stuff is now all online. I mean, it used to be you had to go to the, you know, the county recorder's office and pull out a big file. And now these guys can just hack these uh, you know, local government uh, you know, websites and get a hold of it. Forge your name, transfer the title to themselves, and they're off. And you might think, well, heck, man, they can pay the mortgage. I don't want to have to pay it. But they're looking for the equity. And then when the day comes and all of your equity is used up and you start getting bills in the mail for equity loans, second, third mortgages, et cetera, and you're like, how did that happen? Now you've got a massive mess. Maybe some of you watching right now have a loved one who's elderly, retired. They're really going after their homes because chances are they've got a lot more equity and they're more vulnerable, less tech savvy. And then next thing you know, their retirement is ruined. That's why you want to get Home Title Lock. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant that they detect sinister activity, they're on it to help to shut it down. You know what? Your home title may even be compromised already. You can find out. Sign up at HomeTitleLock.com for your free title scan and report free. HomeTitleLock.com. That's a $100 value for free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. 
Let's continue with our weekly look at the week that was. The Dace Group, issue three, is the left finally drawing the line on the left. The mob somehow found Tucker Carlson's home address. The mob actually broke into his home, or at least broke the front door, forcing his wife, who was home alone at the time, to hide in the pantry until the cops came. But for once, some on the left, and even some prominent figures on the left, decried this act of mob violence. Fighting Tucker Carlson's ideas is an American right. Targeting his home and terrorizing his family is an act of monstrous cowardice. Obviously, don't do this, but also take no pleasure in it happening. Feeding monsters just makes more monsters. I think Tucker Carlson is terrible. Despicable, actually. Don't knock on his door or anyone else's door. This is crossing the line. Aside from tactics, terrorizing people in their home is morally wrong, however awful their beliefs. Not to mention, we don't even know what the rest of his family believes. This trend of harassing media figures and others at their homes is really detestable. That's all I could find, but it's a start. Put some background on those four names uh, that Aaron featured. Uh, Stephen Colbert may be uh, the most popular progressive in America today in terms of pop culture and the nightly platform he has. If it's not him, you could certainly argue it's Ellen DeGeneres and Andy Lassner is her executive producer. That was him that voiced uh, that concern. Uh, Oliver Darcy is uh, the you know, kind of Brian Stelter's Robin at CNN. Uh, he's sort of their uh, liberal media gatekeeper reporter. And I'm trying to think of who the third per. Oh, uh, Jonathan Chait is the uh, the chief columnist uh, over at the New Republic, I think is where he is at. So those are people that have some pretty prominent platforms or attachments to prominent platforms on the left. So our first question, ladies and gentlemen, is the left finally drawing the line on the left? Is this a bridge too far, Todd? What do you think? No, they're not drawing a line. I mean, there's winks and nods in a lot of those. I give credit uh, uh, to Stephen Colbert's uh, in particular, but the other ones are making sure that uh, these people are truly awful. I mean, you get that, right? It's it's Tucker Carlson, all right? Uh, they're making sure with that level of virtue signaling that, uh, hey, we haven't forgotten. Uh, we didn't crack when it came to Kavanaugh. That's what you really need. Just a couple months ago, you remember, they tried to crush uh, Brett Kavanaugh by making up stuff about him, and then a couple of days later they voted in Keith Ellison in Minnesota. That's the truth of where they're willing to go. So I give props, particularly to Stephen Colbert. The other guys, though, are winking and nodding at you. Shannon, what do you think? Well, I always start my analysis with the idea that both of the political parties are essentially working together and that the progressives in D.C. and all of the entities that they use to push out their message are really in the business of trying to control outcomes and to provide narratives. So I see this as just another part of the storyline. And remember, anytime something like this happens, it started with Trump during the primaries in Chicago when George Soros bust out all the, the protesters and it immediately made Trump a sympathetic figure and a very important night. Um, anytime this type of thing happens, it's actually a benefit for Trump, the Republicans. And what I'm seeing is, I think, a new storyline that we're going to see in the next uh, two years, 2019 and 2020. I think we're going to see a new bipartisanship emerge between Donald Trump, uh, Schumer, Pelosi, and the establishments in both of the political parties. 
you're then going to see some of a, 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 an attempt, I think, for both of them to isolate and diminish these radical edges. So folks like Estacio Cortez and some of these new rebels coming in, the communist socialists coming into the Democrat Party, they're going to be cast as the fringe left. And I do think they're going to try to completely obliterate for the for the final time the uh, Freedom Caucus and the Liberty Caucus. These are going to be the obstructionists in the House. And so I think you'll continue to see the, the, these type of uh, conflicts. But in the at the end of the day, it's it's better for the show because it distracts people from the the really monstrous legislation that we're going to see in the next two years. Amnesty, potential single payer, a massive, massive infrastructure boondoggle, debt deficit, um, it's its the gamut. So I think that's going to be the play. Aaron? Uh, the answer is of course not. Of course they're not drawing the line on the left. The, the, the premise that they can actually stop themselves or help themselves, that a cult can stop themselves or help themselves from going down the rabbit hole, that's, uh, that is laughable. Um, but what we're seeing sometimes when they when leftists come out and decry this type of stuff it's just simple pragmatism there are no um i i think they're just saying well you know at this point maybe it's not great that we go full, uh, you know full out leftist just maybe this moment we need to pick and choose our spots it's not going to benefit it's just it's pragmatism it's utilitarianism on a small scale i don't i really don't believe and i'm open to changing but i really don't believe and i don't think they've earned our benefit of the doubt meaning those who are truly leftist, I really don't believe that there's a part of them that really looks at that and says, yeah, boy, that's that's crossing a line. Do you guys believe that? And I, this sounds really, really uncharitable because it is, and I don't take that lightly, but I just don't, I don't have any reason to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, I think the premise that, that uh, or the disclaimer premise that Shannon uh, shared before her answer just listening to the three of you talk, I think that's the difference between her take on this and yours, you two. What I hear Shannon saying is that these elements are disturbing the Overton window for the system to get the graft that it wants. And so they, they, they have to dispense with the elements uh, on each side that are the true believers here right. um, and, and move them out of the way so they can cut the deal they all want to, to grease each other's palms. Um, you guys are saying that that deal is off the table because this is who the left actually is. There, there, there is no the the element of we're just here for the money now. Uh, we, you know, that's not what the the leadership of the Democratic Party is anymore. These are two true cultural iconoclasts, and the deal that they always offer is give us everything we want or slit your own throat with no in between. That's that's kind of what I hear is the difference between you and Aaron's take and Shannon's take. Well, I'm I'm partial to a, most of uh, Shannon's analysis. I just don't think you can equate what uh, the, uh, the the Republicans are going to do to the Freedom Caucus, whatever that is anymore, uh, with what uh, Nancy Pelosi and company are going to do to Ocasio Cortez. Mostly because uh, you 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 can't do that uh, whatever dimensional chess that is Nancy Pelosi style when you've been dancing with the devil so long. Sooner or later, whether your intentions were four-dimensional chess, you become the devil. It, it's he starts owning you. You do not own him. See, so, I, that I, I actually agree with both of you. To, I, I Shannon, I believe is correct that that's what the Republicans want yeah, to do. Yes, I have no doubt about that. I don't believe the Democrats can do it. I agree. Their media will not permit it. 
Um, any attempt of, at shelving the Ocasio Cortezes of the world, and these mobs will show up at their homes. Yeah. Um, well, Ellen DeGeneres and that crowd will turn on them. Yeah. They also have a presidential primary coming up. And this is going to be the most sought after base in Democratic primary politics because these are the people most likely to show up like evangelicals are in the Republican presidential primary. And vote a couple times. Yeah, exactly. And you, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, all these people, this is their base. They're going to, these people are going to be more active these next two years yes. with, a, with a Democratic presidential primary going on. So I have no doubt that the, and this is, this is what happened with immigration. The Democrats said we want, you know, back in May, well, we want 680,000 uh, amnesties. Republicans said, no, you don't. You want 1.3 million. The Democrats ah. said, uh, actually, you know, we kind of want them all. And the Republicans said, we can't give you more than 1.3 million because our base will turn on us. And Democrats said, shut the government down. I believe Republicans would like to continue the process that Shannon has accurately and articulately eloquated. All right, like what you saw in Kansas, where the Chamber of Commerce Republicans worked with Democrats to defeat Chris Kobach. Well, now they've got a major mess on their hands, though, because they, they got a rainbow jihadist as governor that's going to go after all these mainline Republicans who go to church on Sunday and don't want to bake the cake bigot. And they're going to have a different culture war in Kansas. And they, with Chris Kobach, the culture war they would have had is, what's a border? In Kansas, they're going to have another culture war now, what's a Christian? And these Chamber of Commerce Republicans keep cutting deals with these leftists thinking the old, the old scam is in play. And the leftists are like, uh, no, it's not. But thanks for the deal. We're just going to take everything while we're here. So I agree with Shannon that Republicans would like to continue this. In no known universe do the Democrats play by these rules anymore. No, they don't. And if Schumer and Pelosi try, they're gone. They will be gone. 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 I don't believe, it will. I don't believe they can play that way anymore. The only thing I'll say is that we said that about, we used to say about Mitch McConnell and the rhinos in Washington, D.C., we would constantly say, oh, if they betray the base, if they if they betray their conservative base, if they, you know, go against, then, you know, they're going to be gone. Eventually, over time, they slow play you. And yes, I think that the radical leftists and Democrats are going to make some noise and they're going to be disappointed. But at the end of the day, I think that at least for the next two years, Schumer and Pelosi are going to control the day and we're going to get the legislation. That the no, they won't, Shannon. The reason they won't control the day, they have a presidential primary going on. It's right. the same thing we saw in 2014 where Ted Cruz is using a Senate seat to run for president. And every time McConnell tries to do a sellout, Ted yeah. Cruz jumps in front of a camera and says to the base, he can't, they can't do, they're, they're, they're screwing us. And he calls McConnell a liar. They, if, if that's the stuff Ted Cruz was doing to win a presidential primary in 2014 and 2015, what do you believe Kamala Harris and Spartacus and Focahontas are going to do with the entire primetime lineup at CNN and MSNBC cheering them right. on the entire time? Okay. Right. But what is always the outcome, though? So you're, we're talking about the show again. What is the outcome? Even though Ted Cruz, with all the, the, the shutdown. Are, the stuff, guys representing us are playing the show, the guys representing right. them are not. They're, they're, yeah. they're playing revolution. It's a one-sided show now. There's only one party playing this show now. The other side's playing revolution. The other side, so we're the only, the guys representing us are the only ones playing the show. The other side's playing revolution or nothing. That's what they're playing. Well, I believe that they believe that. Yeah, but I, I, at the very, yes, they, yes, I agree with that. Exit question. On a scale of one to 10, with one being never and 10 being metaphysical certitude, what's the likelihood one of these leftist mobs will provoke a violent defense from their target, say, in the next six months. Aaron. Ten. Shannon. Ten. Ten. 
Issue four, Trump versus Acosta. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I wanted to challenge you on, on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign uh, in, in the midterms. That here, this, here we go. That, well, if Let's you don't go. mind, Let's Mr. Go. President, that this caravan was an invasion. As you know, I, Mr. President, I consider it to be an invasion. As you know, Mr. President, the caravan was not an invasion. It's a, it's a, a group of migrants moving up from Central America towards the border with the U.S. Thank you for telling and me that. Uh, why, why, did you, why did you characterize it as such? Uh, because I consider it an invasion. You and I have a difference of opinion. But do you think that you demonized immigrants in not this election no, not to try to I want keep... Them, I want them to come into the country, but they have to come in legally. You know, they have to come in, Jim, through a process. I want it to be a process. And I want people to come in, and we need the people. Your you know, campaign... Wait, your campaign. Wait, wait. You know why we need the people, don't you? Because we have hundreds of companies moving in. We need the people. Right. But your campaign had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls and well, so that's on. Well, it, it, but They it, weren't actors. They're not going to be doing they that. They weren't actors. Well, no, it's truth. Do you think they were actors? They weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. Right. These, were, these were people. This was an actual, you know, it happened a few days ago. And, uh, They're hundreds of miles away, though. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles away. That, that's I not an invasion. Should, honestly, uh, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings would be ask, much if better. I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question. Mr. President, if I may, if I may ask Peter, one other ahead. question, are you worried? Of, that's enough. That's no, enough. Mr. President, I, well, that's I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. that's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask, on the Russia investigation. Are you concerned that... That you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. True or false, both sides of this fracas essentially got exactly what they wanted out of the video we just played aaron true true metaphysical certitude it is true um you know the uh, right got uh, the clickiest clickbait that ever clickbait baited uh the left got the hey they doctored it they're lying again i mean we can't even agree on what we see in a video oh my this is like the yanny and laurel and the blue dress yellow dress thing except people are literally lighting themselves on fire over this this is so freaking stupid this is the most stupid story we've ever seen and yet at the same time guys at the same time we analyzed this earlier this week we could have actually had a moment and Trump, you know, where there was actually substance behind what we saw, but no, it was all the pissing match going on the entire time. This is the most stupid story since two days yeah. ago. Aaron, time. you think that now, but oh, gosh, I know you've don't. been busy this yeah. morning. You haven't seen David French analyze the super slow-mo version of the Good. video yet, okay? Is that true? When you see that, is that, that, that... Is that a thing? Well, there's if it, him and a- others who are just really obsessing over the, the fact that there's various levels of breakdown of the vid it's yeah it's dumb so just watch that wait there's there's more Aaron there's more um so that being said I just want to Donald Trump was fantastic he gave a great answer and multiple the only thing he missed out is he should have said Costa you touch her one more time and left it open-ended exit question who will last longer Acosta as CNN's White House correspondent or Trump as president, Shannon. 
Trump is president. Todd. What kind of circle of hell question is this? Binary. Who do you want to lose your country to? Antifa thugs or Broward County crooks? Todd, now. Or you're a cuck who hates Jesus. Answer. Answer the question. Trump. Aaron. A cockroach. <laughs> so Acosta. Oh, I'm sorry. So Acosta. Trump, uh, yeah, both, yes. <laughs> oh, predictions. Aaron, I'm going back to you because why not? Your prediction this week. <clears throat> Um, we will still be talking about the video on Monday. I think if that's the case, we really need Broward County to come up with yeah. some more votes. Yes. I mean, at this point, let's just, any, anything, let's anything. Just get, yeah, let's just get the tyranny, the, the, the totalitarian government thing under the underway. Shannon, your prediction. Seeing that the season has begun in the Joy household, our Christmas tree will be up and decorated. Yay. Lights will be hung by Thanksgiving in this house. Yes. Arizona, in your face, Arizona. 30 seconds, go. Heretics, all of you. Uh, what? Quickly. I know. Uh, I was going to go with some sort of... No, Christmas. There's going to be another war on Christmas because, of course. Jeff Sessions will not run. For his old Senate seat. That is my prediction. Shannon, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hour two, Feedback Friday next. Stay tuned. We're back with Hour 2 here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Thank you for tuning in. I want to thank New York Talk Show host Shannon Joy for joining us last hour for the Dace Group Roundtable. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We'll get to some feedback Friday in a moment. But fake news is all the rage these days. You know where you see some of the fakest news that ever faked? With so-called superfoods. Take a look at your superfood container. Look at the label. Does it say supplement facts or supplemental fact on it? If it does, it's because it's not a real food. It's fake news. It's actually made from extracts. So with the goal of creating a real, authentic superfood, specially designed to enhance your health, help you to reach your full potential, a team of top physicians gathered together to form a company called Brickhouse Nutrition, and they want to introduce you to the real superfood field of greens. It is the first real superfood, and the difference is seen right away when you turn the label over. And you look at it, and it says nutrition facts on the panel instead of supplement. Why does it say nutrition? Because it's an actual food. One scoop of Feel of Greens has a full serving of real certified vegan, vegetarian, USDA organic fruits and vegetables complete with antioxidants. You need those right now with the cold and flu season upon us. It is snowing uh, throughout the Midwest as we speak. So for a limited time offer, visit BrickHouseSteve.com and use promo code Steve to get 15% off of your first order. Again, visit BrickHouseSteve.com right now. Use promo code Steve to get 15% off of your first order of Field of Greens. Is there a definition for supplement? Like I can literally put anything in my body and call it a supplement. Sure. Right? What are you supplementing it with? Yeah, yeah for or with. That's, yeah. that's that's a really good point. Absolutely. BrickHouseSteve.com. All right, gentlemen, you ready for some feedback Friday? And mm. if folks... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're starting to get... I guess this is a compliment. We're starting to get like soliloquies, like really, really long emails. Yeah, we are. Ripping us. Yeah. And 
and even if they're positive, if it get if when I look at it right away, we're getting so many now. I just got to tell you, remember when Bill O'Reilly used to say all the time back in the day on Fox, keep it pithy, right? It, when they're so long that if they're multi-paragraph, unless you tell me right away it's like your personal spiritual journey testimony, yeah. then we'll look at it. Yep. But if, if if you send me a blog on an issue, even if even if it's probably something I might agree with, the minute it shows multiple paragraphs, and I don't mean like Ernest Hemingway paragraphs, man. I mean like paragraphs, okay? I'm out, man. It's going to the bottom of the pile. I just don't, I only have so much time in the day. So if you want us to see it and respond, I mean, I'm not going to tell somebody who's sharing their personal testimony and spiritual journey, hey, cut it down, man. You're not that important out there. I mean, if it's a personal life story, we want to hear it, you know? But if you want to like engage us on issues or our particular uh, take on the issues, the, you got a higher likelihood. The, the immediate editing process has nothing to do with whether you agree with us or not. Nothing. Everything to do with how damn long it is. <laughs> right? So, I mean, if it's really long. In my case, just my laziness. So well, it's yeah, nothing against that's you. That's a default no. mechanism. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's begin. Sylvia says, I struggle with God's call to surrender and let God drive the car versus picking up the jawbone of an ass and begin smiting the Philistines. Here, here. Yeah, indeed. Uh, remember, while this country was founded by people influenced by a Christian worldview, let's not forget that they were running away from a similar fight. Are there any new worlds for us to run to, though, currently? Am I wrong or immoral to say that my back and my family's is in a corner and it's self-preservation decision time? So do I surrender for survival's sake or turn and fight? I know you always say not to accept binary choices, but they won't listen to rationality anymore. I've tried that tack. It comes with an inane verbal smackdown. Do I just ignore the vitriol and mutter under my breath that their time of reckoning will come and hide my light under a bushel basket waiting for better days? Um, Sylvia, your email is a good, uh, I think it is a, is a good articulation of the, de- the internal debate we're all having right now. Let me, let me, though, take the very last thing. Turning the other cheek. If, if God is calling you to turn the other cheek, if God is calling you to suffer for your beliefs and not to lash back, and I know this may shock some of you, but there's actually places throughout Scripture and church history where God has called his people to do things like that. Now, I know that gets me excommunicated from conservative media. But, but there are times um, where we are given that call. Is that not true, gentlemen? It is true. It is true. So if you are given that call, that's not hiding your light under a bushel. Don't fall for that binary choice either. A willingness to suffer for what you believe is not hiding your light under a bushel. That's just a different way of shining your light, okay? So let's, let's set that part of it aside for a second. The rest of this, though, Sylvia, it's cash money, homie, in terms of how we're navigating this. And I can only, you know, I can only articulate how I'm trying to feel my way in the dark right now. Um. If I can fight, 
let me stop. No. Unless I'm being specifically called to suffer for what I believe, God's law, aside from that specific calling, always permits me self-defense. Let's agree on some stipulations. We One, we agree, we stipulate. There are times God calls his people to suffer for the name, period. Right? Yeah. Turn the turn the other cheek and suffer for the name. We agree on that. Yes. Okay. Yep. Outside of so that's stipulation one. Stipulation two, outside of those specific callings, we are outside of that specific commissioning, we are entitled as a general rule to self-defense. We would stipulate to that. Yes. Okay. Next so, for example, um, Unless you hear the audible voice of God in your head say, suffer, turn the other cheek. When, when the enemy breaks into your home and threatens you and your loved ones, you don't have to do a moral calculus right then and there, right? Self-defense instinct, God's law permits that, period. End of sentence. We agree on that, right? Yes. yes. Okay. All right, so aside from self-defense situations— Third stipulation, we are, a, we are called to fight in a way that does not undermine what we claim to believe. Would we stipulate to that? Yeah. All right. So we have these three stipulations. Now we flesh them out. The first one, I think, is, is the easiest to flesh out because... You would know, wouldn't you, if you were in those situations? Yeah, you know, like, I mean, if you're facing like a spirit of antichrist on earth or something like that, you would know most of the time if you are in a situation like uh, Peter and John at the temple who were beaten for preaching Jesus by the, by the, uh, by the Sanhedrin. I mean, th- those are extraordinary. Usually those are the things that occur in sh- extraordinary circumstances. The idea that you are called to suffer. Um, you're a Christian thrown to the lions in, in the arena. There's no reasonable expectation your self-defense will would, would, would work even if you advocated it, right? So, I mean, those are extraordinary places where a culture is so dark or the times in which you are called to serve are so dark. I mean, should we be shocked the same people who just took their Savior and Messiah and arrested him and and conspired against him, then turned around and conspired against his disciples, right? You see what I'm saying? That's, yeah. a, that's a dark spiritual thing that's happening. And that's why those moments are, that's usually, not always, but usually when that level of, of extraordinary suffering is called upon, because even if you wanted to act on your God-given instinct to defend myself, its chances of success humanly are so remote Anyway, like you up against a lion in the arena, right? Like uh, the story, what's the name of the priest? Literally like a monk right out of a monastery who walked right out of the stands onto the fields, right onto the arena floor in the Colosseum and said, stop, what's happening here is evil. And then he got killed. But what happened to him when he did that, that suffering that he engaged in there was so extraordinary. It so moved the people that it was one of the galvanizing moments that caused them to shut down the game. Something like that. You're describing the MLK, Gandhi to some extent? Yes, yes, yeah, okay. 
The others then, so I don't know that we have to worry about navigating the first one. We're going to know. We're, you're going to know when the situation is so dark that there is no, you know, you take the mark or you bow the knee to, you know, to Nero or you're done. You know in those situations when you're at that place within a culture more times than not. Wouldn't we agree on that? Yeah. Okay. So the other two then become the gray areas we have to navigate in the times in which we live, you know, where we have to be those sons of Issachar and we understand the times and what to do about them. Okay. So, um, how I navigated it in this last election is I viewed what was attempted to do, what was attempted to be done to Brett Kavanaugh and uh, as, and this is why I lumped it together with Roy Moore. The, the charges were not the same, but the game plan and the way that they acted upon them and the way that even they were, un, they were rolled out, Washington Post in both cases, was the same. That doesn't mean both Roy Moore, that, that, that doesn't mean Roy Moore is innocent and that uh, Brett Kavanaugh, um, who I'm pretty confident is innocent, is, or one's innocence doesn't make the other not guilty. You see what I'm trying yes. to say? It's a game plan. It's a game plan. I, I, I personally think the consistent, and I say this as someone who has counted Roy Moore as a contact and or friend for 10 years, there is more consistency in the stories against Roy Moore than there ever was in the story. They, they were fantastical in Brett Kavanaugh's case. There was no constant thread. Where there's a huge consistency, though, in the two cases is while the narrative that Roy Moore's accusers had was more consistent and credible than the one all of Kavanaugh's accusers, who have several of which have now, or at least two have said they made the whole thing up. What is the same is there was no corroborating evidence outside of the charges. In Roy Moore's case, there were there was two pieces of corroborating evidence offered. One was that he had been kicked out of the Gadsden Mall. He was on a list there for being a predator, essentially being the Matthew McConaughey character in Dazed and Confused. What he loves about high school chicks is as they get he gets older, they get younger. That's essentially what they were claiming. And then they went to not one, but two different mall managers. One they claimed one was a friend, lifelong friend of Roy Moore's, and so he couldn't be trusted. So they went and got another guy who was the manager of the local mall at that time, and he said no such list with him on it existed. The other piece of corroborating evidence that was entered into the public arena was the yearbook, and that's what caused Ted Cruz to call me and say, I, gotta, I can't support this. Mike Lee dropped his support of Roy Moore the day the yearbook came out with Roy Moore's autograph and personal note to his accuser on it. It was never offered uh, on three different occasions. Her attorney, Gloria Allred, went on national television and refused to, to verify its authenticity, right? Yes. And then it was never offered to handwriting experts whether that was actually Roy Moore's handwriting or not. But the woman, the accuser who did have this inscription, did admit literally the day before the election that she doctored the... Um, uh, didn't forge. She didn't forge his signature. She doctored the inscription. She added things to it and then didn't disclose it for, a, for the entire month that the thing was available. So at that point in time, we just left it up to the court of a public opinion in the state of Alabama and let the voters decide. And they did. And they made their decision. Same game plan here. Again, the narrative of the accusers in the Moore case is more consistent and therefore I think comes across more credible, but no corroborating evidence, decades old charges, 
any attempt to come up with corroborating evidence. In the case of uh, of Brett Kavanaugh, it was Christy Blasey Ford's memory collapsed upon any pushback whatsoever. And then all of the other accusers that were brought forth were just, just had no credibility whatsoever. And, and so when they did it with Roy Moore, I did my best to look at their charges fairly considering it's someone I know and it was difficult for me to do. When they ran the exact same game plan on even flimsier evidence against Brett Kavanaugh, that's when I drew my line in the sand. I don't even like Brett Kavanaugh. I think he will not be a good Supreme Court justice. I was incredibly disappointed when they nominated him. And, it, and the day after he nom- they nominated him, it was like a fart in church. Our base hated it, didn't care, and didn't even like this nomination until they pulled this game. And so for me, Sylvia, that was a line in the sand for me. That was like a political home invasion that I, I could not abide. My political disagreements with with David Young, my Republican congressman, and several other Republicans in my state, my disappointment in their lack of political courage or the way they have betrayed me on issues, I'm no longer, it was my view, I was no longer permitted the luxury of that protest because these people are now saying, if we, Brett Kavanaugh and Roy Moore are totally different judges, man. I mean, they're night and day. But the minute one of them's about to be on the U.S. Senate and the other one's supposed to be on the, about to be on the Supreme Court, we now can just literally pull stuff out decades later and destroy you. And, there's, and, you, and any defense you make against yourself is an attack on women. Do we understand the premise that will be set it forth if that is allowed to stand? Do we understand? I did. And that's why I voted the way that I did. I grabbed the jawbone of an ass and went in there in my polling booth and voted for people I don't like and often have not, have not have let me down. But this, this to me transcended a lesser of two evils argument. You, you want to commit fraud openly to get what you want and in the most personally destructive way possible. Even the people that hated Roy Moore's legal theories and politics never had a bad word to say about him as a human being his entire life. And now he can't show his face. It's like he's a pedophile. Brett Kavanaugh has to give up coaching youth girls sports teams. Okay? That kind of stuff. We, that, see, the Republicans lying to me about whether they're going to repeal Obamacare or not doesn't doesn't alter the fabric of a community the way that level of malevolent activity does. You see what I'm trying to say? That 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 takes away the the human dignity aspect of this. That is you essentially, you know, we talked let me this will this will make it clear. We talked about what is anti-Semitism yesterday, okay? And the point we made was if you're a Muslim who believes that the Jews have hijacked your religious heritage and that Father Abraham took Ishmael up to Mount Moriah instead of Isaac, that doesn't make you an anti-Semite. Disagreeing with Judaism and believing it's a false religion as a Muslim does not make you an anti-Semite. Saying, because I believe these things, I now am going to use the coercive force of go- and power of government to treat you like you're subhuman, that's what, um, that's what makes you an anti-Semite. There has to be room for religious disagreement because someone's lying here, right? We can't all be telling the truth. Someone's got, someone's not, someone's, someone's believing a lie here, you know, and we'd like fewer people in hell 
So we'd kind of like to provide some room where the argument about who's, who, you know, whose God is real can occur. But if you take it to the next step of, because I disagree with your view of God, I can treat you as less than human. Now we're into, that's where we're into bigotry territory, not opposition. Similar thing is analogy here. I'm, I'm tremendously disappointed with what the Republicans have done and not done on issues I care greatly about, which is why, what have I not been now for more than three years, guy, guys? A Republican. Republican. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to join an association that doesn't line up with my beliefs. But the Republicans are not using their disagreement with my beliefs to create me to to cat to to castigate me and label me as a as a as a person for 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 target for public assassination these leftists are they're the ones saying if we don't want this supreme court justice or this us senator or this talk show host or this florist or this baker we end you we empty baron l stutzman's life savings we we destroy her we make this young millennial uh, couple trying to build a small business that doesn't even have a bakery shop worth $140,000 of capital um, or cash flow. We make them pay these fines. We, we, we affix a scarlet letter to Roy Moore, who may be guilty, but no one's ever followed up to see if he is because they didn't, they didn't care about justice for the girls that Roy Moore allegedly creeped on. They just wanted a Senate seat. We can't, we can't live like that, okay? That, that's, that is, that, in my view, those rules of engagement cannot be permitted to set foot. Or this culture is going to end real quick. I mean, real quick. You, you're worried about the culture going to pass on to your four daughters? Worry about how your four daughters go to school in a year if we start doing stuff like that, all right? right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is how this stuff will end us as a people fast. And so for me, Sylvia, that was jawbone of an ass time. You know, I looked at it as a dad. You're, you've, you, have, you have acted out so poorly, I have a responsibility now to discipline you and teach you a lesson. The other area, how do we do this in a way that doesn't cause us to lose our own credibility? Well, I think when self-defense is in play, um, Waving the jawbone of the ass too many times isn't a, isn't a problem. We would agree on that, right? Your sure. self defense. Yep. Where I would where I would go to this is I don't agree with my brethren at all that want to use Alinsky's tactics. Don't tell me on one hand Saul Alinsky dedicated his book to the devil, and then tell me well we should use some of those tactics. So you want me to use the devil's tactics? Uh, no. Devil times devil equals devil. Yeah. Zero times zero is zero. Toxic sludge times toxic sludge is toxic sludge. Now I do agree that. If this is the standard they want, they should have to live. Forcing people to live by the standard they want to impose on you is not engaging in their tactics. Meaning, I don't want to use their tactics to force a Luciferian standard on people. I'm not going to do that. But if you want to force a Luciferian standard on me, you're damn well right. That's what eye for an eye means, by the way, guys. You ever wonder what that means? It means restitutional justice. That's what it means. All right? What you have taken from someone else, you have to pay restitution. You take so eye for an eye does not mean we're literally plucking out eyes. It's a metaphor. All right, you take something of great value from someone else. The restitution God's law says you must pay is something of similar value to you. 
God's law believed so much in restitutional justice that when the Jews went off and cut their own side deal with these people they were supposed to conquer, and they got scammed into committing, these people scammed them into this deal, but they, since they made this covenantal deal, God still made them live by that deal. So if they want to force, we don't promote offensively, affirmatively, Luciferian standards. But if the other side wants to impose one on us, you're damn well right we're going to make them live by it then too. That's, yes, I do agree with that, okay? But these are the sorts of distinctions that, that I think strategically the conversations we need to have as a movement going forward. Because if we totally adopt, and there is a growing movement of people on our side because it's popular. A lot of people in our audiences want this. But if we adopt affirmatively moral subjectivism and relativism and tribalism in response to their moral subjectivism um, and and tribalism, I I promise you we will lose, and I won't sign up for that. What are you guys' thoughts on Sylvia's note? I'll I'll simply say, because it it is difficult to add add, uh, to that, but to the degree that the decisions uh, that Steve is talking about are uh, difficult, that that won't go away, but they do become less difficult. If you remember that scene uh, in uh, the original, the, the first uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, where uh, Frodo says to Gandalf, uh, and I wish I didn't live in this time. And Gandalf simply says, that's not for us to choose. It's just for us to do uh, what we can with the time that we have. Just coming, a lot of us are just having a hard time coming to terms of, wow, we, we are here now. It This, this upside down world, this this world that is basically uh, straight out uh, of the Old Testament, it, it's it's here now. It's not a thing to come. We are living right there. That makes your stomach churn. It does mine, but just accepting it helps make the decisions all the more clearer and thus easier. Yeah, there are times when your God-given rights and other God-given uh, others God-given rights are being blitzkrieged. There are times when your God-given rights and when others' God-given rights are being, um, well, they're being taken over like molasses uh, spreading over a flat surface. It takes a while. It's a slow fade. Mm. Um, What you just described, Steve, with the Kavanaugh stuff, that is a blitzkrieg, and that's when you swing the the, the jawbone of an ass. When it's a longer battle, that's not always when you, when it's prudent, prudent, I didn't say anything prudent to maybe step not necessarily step back but take a different approach with the long-term battles because when things start to happen what you described is just a guillotine by a different by a different mm-hmm. uh, uh, method when that st- stuff starts happening you better run to the mountains or pick up your jawbone and start swinging otherwise it's going to be uh, it's going to be you uh, that's going to be ended next um and it's not just for your own self-interest. That, 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 that's, that's one motivator, especially in self-defense. Um, but as I said, I made the distinction between, well, I, I just, when your God-given rights or others' God-given rights are being threatened, that's always a time when you need to act. It just depends on how they're being threatened, what your response should be. Braden Kelly in Milford, Iowa says, I'm wondering if you can touch on a question I've been pondering. Is it conflicting to believe that people are totally depraved, but also believe that people can ultimately make their own way through the treasures capitalism has to offer? Well, I think, first of all, we have to define what capitalism is and what it isn't. Okay. Capitalism is not unfettered 
hum, uh, unfeathered, uh, unfettered, I should say. Un, what did I say? Unfeathered, I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully it's unfeathered. Otherwise, that, that could be animal abuse. Uh, it is, um, un, it's not unfettered. I want something and I'm willing to pay for it. Um, there's a reason we have black markets, okay? Because not everything everybody wants. If you want something that causes someone else, someone else's destruction, you can't, you can't have that by law. So, so capitalism in and of itself understands that there's a moral framework. Don't, don't confuse capitalism with hedonism. Yes. Or with mercantilism. Uh, or with I wantism, okay? Ocasio Cortez's head just exploded. By yeah, the way. yeah yes, that. yeah. Hey, I like to have sex with little kids. Well, you 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 can't you can't purchase that without you cannot act capitalize upon that desire and or t- I have a talent for kidnapping little kids and selling them on the black market. Well, you can't capitalize on that talent, nor can you capitalize on that desire without causing the destruction of another person. Therefore, the answer is no, right? We're not talking lawlessness. Yeah, capitalism outside the framework of um, a morality is anarchy. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't, don't conflate those things, okay? But now that we've dealt with that conflation, so I think this is a key point, underline it. You, any, if you attempt to capitalize on a desire or a skill or an activity— that causes or results in the destruction of another person, you're not a capitalist, you're evil. Okay? Stipulated? Got it. Thank you. El Chapo is sitting in a cell and he says, ah. <laughs> so therefore, um, outside of that, who would then determine what people should and shouldn't be able to capitalize on? Who would determine that? Other people are those, and those people are sinners. So therefore, the choices they may make about what you should and shouldn't be able to capitalize on could be wrong. And the only antidote we would have to them being wrong would be other opportunities, competitive options of choice, which would give you alternatives to do something that is right and good when someone else is trying to incentivize you to do wrong. You see what I'm saying? Yes. All right. This is... Man, we have really failed our younger generation. Yes. All right, we're going to have this conversation more in depth when we come back. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. If you're listening to the podcast a little bit later on, on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, at all, if you've got time today, leave us a positive review. Oh, this is what happens when I eat those spicy nuts that uh, Todd brings. So, because I need that energy jolt for the last 30 minutes. They good. <clears throat> yeah. 
Not necessarily great, though, for then broadcasting right afterwards. Uh, if you could leave us a five-star review, uh, if you like the show, if you don't, don't lie, but if you could leave the a five-star review because you do dig how we finger roll around here, we would appreciate it. The more of you do that, that uh, do that, the more people that then get a chance to check us out because they're attracted to the part. Other people are already attracted to this. And if you have uh, just a second, maybe you don't have time to write a review today. If you could just click that little subscribe button, that would help us as well. Thank you to all of you that have done so. So I'm going to go back to Braden Kelly's email here in Milford, Iowa. And I'm going to say something that that there's going to be a lot of people, particularly in an older generation than mine, will disagree with. But the reason you'll disagree with me will actually reinforce my argument. If you don't believe people are not basically good, then you don't really believe in capitalism. What you really believe in is an ad hoc collection of pro-Western, pro-American sentiments that were passed down to you by a previous generation where they correctly taught you what is true without showing to you why it is. And when you're the generation that's just sort of inheriting that mantle and you saw it work for them, um, you'll respond one of two ways. You'll respond by accepting it, and that, that, that would make you like a Rush Limbaugh. So I used to hear say for years, before I was a Christian, he used to say that human, human beings are basically good. I've heard him say it for years. Well, right away, he doesn't actually believe in the, in, the, in the necessity of why we have to have capitalism to begin with. He just is inheriting a mantle from his parents and passing it on. So he believes the right thing for the wrong reason. But other people in his exact same baby boom generation, since they were taught what is true without being taught why it's true— Instead of becoming Rush Limbaugh, they become the counterculture. And they start introducing a new narrative called progressivism to take over the schools at all and then educate you, the likes of you, me, and now Aaron's generation. Okay? For the longest time, we have tried to get by on the Fox News answer to questions, which is just like the bottom line talking point, without, answer, without actually creating a hermeneutic to explain why things are true. Several years ago, I had a, a, a couple really good friends and um, to our family, a little older than us, and they, they came to me, and their oldest son was home from college. And, and he's home for a long Thanksgiving, and all they did was argue the whole time. Politics, religion, worldview, and they're like, we have failed as parents. And, and Christmas break was about to hit, and now he's going to be home for two full weeks, and they're like, oh, my. And so they come to me, and they say, he has a lot of respect for you. Will you talk to him? Basically, talk some sense into our kid for us so we, can have a, so we don't have a wretched Christmas around here. All right? So I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And I went into this meeting, man. I was ready to give him the old what for, okay? And that still little small voice in, in the back of my head said to me, um, try listening first. So we sat down one day and I just asked him, yo, man, what's going on? You know, the proverb says one side seems true until you hear the other side, right? And he had no idea that his parents had come to me. I didn't disclose this. 
We were just catching up. Here's what he said to me. He goes, Steve, I came home from Thanksgiving. I've been so swamped at college, underwater with my time. I just wanted to come home, hang out with my family, and do some laundry. My parents start talking about the last election. Asked me what I thought. I brought up a couple of questions. This was not the 2016 election. It was another election, okay? He goes, I brought up a couple questions I had. And I brought up some stuff that people that are more, you know, to the left of me on campus are talking about and asking about, and they're challenging me with it, and I don't know the answer. So I asked my parents, man, you know, thinking they would have the answers, and they just friggin' bowled up on me, man, got all defensive. Aaron, is, are you familiar with any of these kinds of conversations? Unfortunately, I think I've been in your shoes a couple of times. Yeah. And I just, you know, then they got all defensive. And then I started thinking, well, crap, man, if they can't answer these questions, why the hell do they even believe this stuff? Hmm. That's not what I thought was happening here. And so, see, what happened is his parents just inherited these generic values from their parents. And so they just accepted them. At face value. But they, they had no apologetic. They couldn't answer why this is true. They could just say that it is. So the, the third generation comes along and they're like, I don't know. I mean, grandpa's been dead for 10 years. And all I knew him for was, uh, you know, he took us to get ice cream. I didn't like, he didn't like, you know, disciple me. So I got some questions for y'all, mom and dad. I got, I need some answers. Mom and dad don't have the answers. And they lose the kids. Or the only answers mom and dad have are a Fox News talking point last night on a crying. This is why we had a whole bunch of Christian millennials in our own district here in Des Moines go out and vote for the pro-life governor we have and then vote for the Democratic congressman because they are appalled at the way they see Donald Trump in their minds influencing their parents to become complete and total hypocrites. Do you have any friends like this, Aaron? Way too many. Yeah. By the way, I'm not taking a side in this argument because who's right? Everybody's wrong. Everybody's wrong in the argument. It's the wrong argument. The right argument is why do you believe what you believe and can you defend it? See, if you don't believe human nature is not basically good, you're not really a capitalist because where does, where does what we know in the West as capitalism, where does it truly come from? It doesn't come from Adam Smith. It comes from some pilgrims who landed on a rock. We're going to commemorate them here in a couple weeks. And when they landed, they opened up their Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And it said that God's oppressed people shared everything in common. Of course, they didn't read further when some of God's people actually started holding out on each other and lying about what they were sharing and got struck down right in front of St. Peter. They didn't read that far along. Uh oh. Okay. They stopped reading at, well, everybody's basically good and they'll just share their stuff because we like each other and we love Jesus. They didn't keep going. Winthrop stopped reading. Don't stop reading, John. Keep going, brother. Keep going, brother. Finish the book. All right. That's not how it worked, actually. It worked like that for a bit. And then folks are like, yeah, I mean, I sold that property and here's what I got for it. Okay, like when the collection plate comes by, 3%, 10, 4, negative 5. You know what, did I give six weeks ago? We're good, all right? Nothing's changed, man. So they all went out there, they were going to share everything, and then half of them died. In the very first winter, half of them died. 
So Winthrop and his boys are like, that sucks. That's, that's not how. This isn't the utopia. And we've signed that, that to Mayflower Compact for the advancement of the Christian religion. This ain't, we ain't seeing much advancement going on out there. We're, we're building, we're, we're, we're digging graves. We'd be digging graves. But not a lot of the advancement of the Christian religion happening out here. So Winthrop kept reading. Went back to the Gospels. And he comes to the parable of the talents. And the master returns to settle accounts with his, with his underlings. And the first two take the talent, which is a, something of monetary value, which that's, the, that's what the term actually meant in the first century. It's symbolic to us of a gift, an ability, you know, an opportunity, okay? The first two servants, the underlings, take the master's talents and they, they grow them. They capitalize on the master's initial investment in them. And it grows, gets bigger, multiplies. And the third one says, well, you know, I, I fear you in an unhealthy way. And I was afraid that you would take this away from me, that you really don't love me. Yeah, that's what he's really saying. I, I didn't really believe you. I don't really believe you love me. I don't really believe that. And so I took this talent that you gave me and I just clutched it. I, I held on to it, my grimy golem-like hands, rather than risk it. And the master says, you know, it was really prudent of you to save life. No, that's not what he said. Master, very angry. Because what his underling has essentially said is, I don't trust you. I don't have faith in you. And he is not happy with that last servant. And then Jesus says, whoever has a lot and is faithful with it will be given even more. And whoever has a little and is unfaithful with that We'll even have that taken away. And John Withrop is like, mind blown, man. Blown. Whatever the 16th century meme is for mind blown, actually it would have been 17th century meme, for mind blown, it went down like that on Plymouth Rock. Right there, bro. Right there. He just couldn't tweet it at the time. He didn't wear twi- tights out that day. That's what, No. Man, he was free. So he goes, guys, I, we got a new plan here. This is how it's going to work. All right? Like the Israelites were all given a plot of land in the, in the Holy Land based off of the size of the families and clans and tribes they had. It was divvied up. The bigger the clan and family, the more land you received. And then what we're going to do is, after that initial division of, of egalitarian division, if you have more, you have more need. You need more land to farm to feed more mouths. But after that, the rest of the land you get is going to be rewarded on who does the best job managing the land that they are originally given, the talent they're originally given. And whoever does the best job of capitalizing on this talent, multiplying it, growing it, will be given even more. And the very next winter, their yield tripled. Tripled. And this thing we call America, America, baby, that's when it was truly born, was that day. If you don't understand that, you don't understand capitalism. I don't care how many William F. Buckley books you've read. I don't care how many times you've listened to Rush. If you don't understand capitalism is needed, not because human nature is basically good, but because it is not. We will not just work our best 
with no incentive. Why do we need competition and an incentive? It always seemed weird to me that on one hand, Rush said human nature is basically good, but then on the other hand, notes that we need a competitive incentive to do our best. If human nature was basically good, why would we need a competitive incentive? Why would we need that? Why would, if, if human nature is basically good, why doesn't your daughter just go out there and just run around the yard a bunch of times, keep time, and be satisfied that daddy said you ran faster than you did the last time? Why wouldn't she? Why does she need races? Why does she need trophies? Why would she need that? Why would, she wouldn't be just motivated just to run around the yard? That wouldn't be good enough for her? You don't actually know anything specifically about cross-country, but you don't know how right you are by making that. Honestly, <clears throat> they put this thing, just like in dog racing, at the beginning of these human race, even when they have each other to race against, mm-hmm. they have this person called the rabbit. And the rabbit goes out there. To I did not even know that. The ra- know you're, yeah. Because you're right. Because the rabbit goes, uh, they all want to get the best, theoretically, they do want to get their best time possible. But there's that other part of them uh, that is just um, kind of. The spirit ju- is willing, but the flesh the, is well, weak, But man. they're jockeying with position and they go, sl- <laughs> they actually slow each other down. Mm-hmm. Because they're just trying to wait to see who goes first. And so they all have made this agreement for the betterment of the sport to have a rabbit. It is somebody who's a really good runner, but not as good as them. But he can go all out for, or she, for about half the race. And they set the pace. And by then, they drop out. They leave the course. and But everybody's all in at that moment. Honestly, God, you had no idea how right you are. I because even, even when yeah. they're racing against each other, it's not good enough to bring themselves to the best. They needed an extra layer of competition and incentive. Mm-hmm. So, Braden, I'm not so much concerned with whether you're pro-capitalism. That is a necessary debate, but it's, it's, it, we, can't, we can't have that debate yet. We have to understand why it exists in the first place. We've lost a generation, America. You want to convince people, you want people to multiply their times tables, and they can multiply them, but they don't know why three plus three times three is nine. They don't know why. They just know that it is. The next generation coming up here needs to know why three times three is nine, or they will reject that three times three is nine. And if you think I'm wrong, hey, what's a gender? Which 49,000 of them. Yeah, what's a human life, do you know? What's a marriage? Anybody know what that is? As we saw in the news this week, what's age? Yeah, and maybe is it that much of a leap what's going on in Broward County in light of this? I mean, if we could just we're just letting people declare a gender, declare a family, declare how old they are. Yeah, why not just declare what your vote, what your what your math is, what yeah. your vote total is? Why not? So we have got to do the the we've got to win the fundamental arguments with this generation. So I need to convince you, Braden, that human nature is not basically good before I even convince you that capitalism is necessary. Because if you don't believe human nature is not basically good, then in the end, you won't understand why capitalism is necessary. Because if human nature is basically good, it makes total sense to centralize and collectivize everything. Makes total sense to do that. Except every time a society does that, do we get utopia or zany hijinks? What do we get? Zany hijinks. Every single time. um, Disguised as that's one of, of those lead pipe people. locks you talk yes. about. Yes, and you know why we get that because the people doing the collecting are sinners too. They're not basically good either. You know, I mean, wait, you, wait, they didn't make it more efficient or do it right this time. It's no, they, oh. they, they can't. They're not. They're sinners. That's why you want a limited government. And the other question we have to then answer is, what's the morality that says this is off base? Like when I articulated. 
a few minutes in the last segment, you are not permitted to capitalize on something that causes damage to another person to obtain, acquire, or perform. The proper question ought to be, well, why? Now, if you believe in abortion, you have no standing to agree with what I just said. You don't. Because you already have violated it. You believe someone can, can acquire an abortion at the, at, the, at the cost of the destruction of another person. Where did I get this standard from? Well, the reality is that if human, human beings are not made in the image of God, then this is a pointless standard too. Why wouldn't I take someone who's mentally disabled and cannot think for themselves and live outside of a group home? Why wouldn't I harvest their, 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 the parts of their body, their, their bones or other things that are not damaged? Why wouldn't I harvest them for the needs of the many that outweigh the needs of the few or the one Spock? Why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I say to whom, you know, uh, to each according to his abilities for each according to his needs? Why would I not do that? The only reason I would not do that is there's a hell and it's hot and forever. And I go there when I do things like that to other people. Otherwise, if there is not a specialness to humanity, if it's not made in the image of a God to whom we will all give an account, then really, then I'm dumb if I don't do things like that. I'm denying my own self-actualization. You see where I'm going with this? I'm the moron. I'm the moron denying myself something I'm entitled to. Okay, so, Braden, your email didn't really ask me about capitalism. It really asked me two questions. Is human nature basically good? And then, who or what determines what good is? That's what you're really asking me. See, we have spent a generation that we didn't teach our kids this. And that's why they're falling for the socialism scams the previous generation defeated. You want your kids to watch Fox News with you and cheer. If you want that, you need to show them why they should. Be, they need you need to show them why they should be watching it with you. Not just if it, you will not win your you're not going to win Aaron's generation over with better. Our tribalistic talking points are better. It, it doesn't matter if they're better because the other side's tribe runs the schools, runs the colleges, runs the damn seminaries. And I said, damn seminaries for a reason. Runs Hollywood, runs everywhere else they would go to get an idea. You won't win. You will lose. I promise. And if you need any evidence of that, look at how the youth voted in the election on Tuesday. That gives you all the evidence you need. Everybody have a great weekend. Back at it again on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.